In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and welcome to episode 409 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos. This week on the show, No Pros Toronto curator Katrina Latt joins us to talk about her coverage of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2023, where she caught 57 of the 3,553 shows that sprung up around the city this August. Now, you can find Cat's picks of 15 standout shows on the site right now, right on the front page, along with an overview piece of the festival. And we're going to dive into both angles on the show today, but not go quite as broad. After that, stay tuned for my off-the-cuff reactions to Angel of Light in Los Angeles and Not Scary Farm's 50th anniversary here in the Southland as spooky season gets underway. Don't go anywhere. It's not the Patreon pitch quite yet. We will get there. But attention, New York City immersive Heads, we have something for you. That is the New York City Immersive Meetup happening on Monday, October 9th. This is a collaboration between ourselves and Culture Lab LIC, and it is happening at Culture Lab LIC in Queens. Check the show notes for links. This meetup is free, but there is a way to give us a donation. Uh, we, we are saying if you've got the ability to uh, help us keep up the fight, drop us a little. Uh, a lot of folks are, and 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 way more than than I was expecting. And let me tell you, that is that is making me feel a bit more comfortable about the the the. The, the next month or two of existence because, uh, you know, we're, we're holding this ship together with uh, chewing gum at this point. Uh, but this is going to be a fantastic event featuring Linked Dance Theater and Transforma Theater. Linked Dance Theater's got a new show, uh, or actually they're bringing back uh, the Incomplete Collection, which is a, a piece that I would love to see because uh, it was originally uh, going to be at... Uh, the festival we were going to do, uh, you know, when we were going to do the, uh, the, the next stage, uh, festival version, uh, in Pasadena, uh, it was, it was one of the pieces we were going to bring out. And, uh, then of course pandemic happened and then pandemic happened and, uh, we, we were not able to, to do the blessed thing. So, uh, Go check it out. <laughs> Go check it out. Go see what I can't see in New York. Uh, tickets are available for that now. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, not to miss Andrew uh, Hefner of uh, of um, of many things of House World of of Bottom of the Ocean of Whisper Lodge. Uh, he he just checked it out and uh, a test run of it and says it's fantastic. So uh, take Andrew's word if you won't take mine. Uh, particularly if you're a Bodo fan, uh, you should really. You should really uh, pay attention to Andrew's taste. Um, that also has got me thinking. Um, 
Andrew makes me think of Whisper Lodge. Whisper Lodge, of course, makes me think of Melinda Lau. Uh, I will be at the Lucid Immersive Summit in Singapore next week. Uh, that will change up the order of battle here in terms of uh, when things come out. We will have a podcast episode dropping probably Tuesday night uh, just to keep things sane because uh, I've got class on Wednesday up at CalArts. So the next podcast is coming out Tuesday. Uh, and it is going to be, um, it's going to be an interview I just did, uh, yesterday, uh, with the artistic director of, uh, Boston court Pasadena, uh, and, uh, also the writer who is the writer and director of measure still for measure, which is playing at Boston court Pasadena, which is, uh, an excellent, excellent show. Uh, the second I saw it, I was like, I gotta go talk to, uh, I gotta go talk to Jessica about it. And it's a fantastic conversation we had about that show, and that'll drop next Tuesday. I'm committing to that. Uh, there's another recording we're doing on Monday, uh, but I'm not going to have a time to turn that around before I head out to Singapore. Uh, a very special episode uh, that's going to be coming up the week that follows. Who knows? Maybe the podcast will start dropping on Tuesday, and I'll rearrange my entire life. Um, and uh, we'll get Everything Immersive uh, this week back up, and that'll come out on Fridays. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? If you're a Patreon backer, uh, respond on the Patreon note uh, for this episode and let me know, would you would you like the podcast to come out earlier in the week? Do you want me to move things around or or are are your weekends based on this? I get an I, I know as a listener of podcasts, like I, I get upset if things move. So I'm I'm not inclined to move it. But if like a hundred of you want me to move it and you're passionate enough to leave a comment. I'll move it. <gasps> Ooh, drew a line in the sand. All right. Um, this is not speaking of lines in the sand. There are no lines in the sand on this. Uh, this show is, I mentioned the Patreon though. This show is made possible by our Patreon backers. Uh, and, uh, you know, without them, uh, no pro doesn't exist. My livelihood, uh, my ability to, uh, you know, keep gas in the car, uh, not, would not happen. Uh, this week we've got no new backers to show for the work we do, uh, which is, you know, depressing always, but I blame that on me running around in the field doing the work, uh, and not having time to post because you can either be doing the work or you can be posting. Those are, those are the choices. Um, and so you're going to get some of the posting <laughs> next few days because of that. Uh, our goal for spooky season this year is to hit 450 backers and, uh, we need like 23 more people. Uh, to do that. We're looking for folks at the $5 level. That's to make sure we keep the lights on in here, keep on track, get get set up for 2024 because there's a lot of work to be done. Um, for those who've already gone to patreon.com slash no proscenium and shown your support, the best way to help uh, us out is to share the podcast, share the call sheet, share the articles you find useful, the review rundown. There's a new one of those this week. You know, get the word out there. Help us spread the word about the good work. Get more people into immersive. Get more people checking everything immersive. Get more people checking no proscenium. That's what you can do. And some of those people are going to be like, wow, how could I, how could I ever live without this? Uh, let's keep this around. So that's how that works. And we need you to do it because we don't have a marketing budget and I don't like giving social media companies money. Uh, we are always, but, but sharing stuff, sure. We are always no proscenium except on Instagram and on threads where, uh, we are no underscore proscenium. This has gone incredibly long, uh, but there's been information to share with you and, and stuff to tell you about uh, meetups and whatnot. 
Uh, oh, we're going to have a meetup uh, in Los Angeles, uh, October 16th. Going to be at uh, the Roguelike Tavern. More details on that and RSVP for that. Uh, hopefully coming next week or right at the Octo start of October if uh, I can't turn it around over this weekend, which is a possibility. Uh, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Samuel Mystery, Chris Wolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, The Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. And hey, if you've got a show and you want to give us some codes to give to our backers or something along those lines, or you want to try to advertise with us, yeah, I just said the ad word. Hey, Hit me up at Noah at NoPersinium.com uh, for details. Uh, a little goes a long way uh, to making this thing uh, go. We are uh, stitching everything together. We're really close. Anyway, maybe more on that on the backside. Let's get into our talk about Edinburgh. Joining us now is Katrina Latt, our Toronto correspondent, who was recently at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which makes her our Edinburgh Fringe Festival correspondent as well, uh, here to tell us about Immersive at the world's largest performing arts festival. Katrina, thank you for joining us from Toronto today. And that's where you are right now. You're not, yes. you're not currently in Edinburgh. Yeah. Currently back in Toronto, but uh, very much wishing I was still in Edinburgh. Unfortunately, oh. yeah. Oh, I've I've seen I've seen uh, I've never been, so I'm I'm very curious on many levels. They also I think they just shot part of like the Batman there, so that I'm oh. extra I'm extra jealous because I love going to places where they shoot Batman stuff and <laughs> all the photos I've seen of it. It's like uh, it's it's like creepy, cool, gothic, you know, like city mashup place from what I can tell, right? Am I wrong? Am I right? Am I You are hundred percent right. And if <sighs> um for anyone who has heard this conversation and still isn't uh, influenced to go visit Edinburgh, then what Noah was saying about Batman being filmed there should bring it over the edge in terms of you wanting to go. But even if you're not a Batman fan, uh it is a beautiful, beautiful place. Um I ha I have had the opportunity to visit some other medieval type cities in the past. Mm -hmm. But I find a lot of medieval cities tend to be tourist cities, that the only reason they exist and are functional is because of the tourist revenue that comes in. What made Edinburgh super interesting is that it's a fully functional city, and it just happens to be a medieval city. So uh, it was just wonderful wandering the streets and alleyways and secret passageways. Maybe not so secret to the locals, but secret to myself as I, I turned into a, a random area that looked like it was out of bounds, but was very much an actual road to visit. Uh, so yeah, just a lovely backdrop to have for a, a wonderfully magical festival. I love that idea of like a place that looked like it was out of bounds as if it was a theme park and not just <laughs> a city where it's like, no, no, cast members only over here, <laughs> except, you know, with a thick Scottish accent. So you have no idea what they're saying to you. And I say that with respect because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful. I like being, I like the idea of a place where people are speaking the same language I speak, but I don't know what they're saying. It just makes the world feel bigger and right and true. Um, so for those of us who, obviously I haven't been to Edinburgh, uh, so that means I definitely haven't been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, tell us what is the Edinburgh Fringe like? Uh, how, 
give us give us a sense of the, the shape and the scope and the size and and the meaning of this thing before we yeah. dive into immersive at. For sure. So I know a lot of people are familiar with the idea of a fringe festival, um, as there's been fringe festivals here where I live in Toronto and LA and, and Melbourne, all over the world. Uh, and you can kind of think of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival as the, the granddaddy or the, the parent of all those other fringe festivals. It was the very first fringe festival that ever existed. Uh, and the way that it came into existence is um, back, back in the day after World War II, uh, a number of the countries in Europe decided, hey, you know, we need to celebrate all the things that are good in this world, and we want to specifically celebrate art. So they came up with this festival called the Edinburgh International Festival. But there were a number of different theater companies that weren't quite invited to this very prestigious international festival. And they decided, you know what, we're just going to show up anyways. We're gonna, we know that people are going to be there in Edinburgh. We're going to do our thing. And we're going to call ourselves the uh, Edinburgh Festival Fringe because they were on the fringes of this prestigious international festival. So since then, it's been happening pretty much every year, with the exception, I think, of some, some COVID-related absences. Um, but the I idea of having fringe um, theater, theater that's not quite um, at that same level of, as an international festival, but developing some really great, unique, creative ideas spread around the world, uh, which is why we have fringe festivals now in my home in Toronto or in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, the one in Edinburgh is the first one and the biggest one, and it actually is the biggest performing arts festival in the entire world. So lots and lots of things happening in that beautiful medieval city during that month of Festival Fringe. And and if memory serves, the international festival still happens. It's it's still going on, and now they're actually happening at the same time. And I guess for for some like a couple of generations, they were rivals, and then they finally just sort of were like, "Oh, uh, let's we, we're not rivals. Like we're we're supporting." But it does lead sometimes there can be confusion because like something mm -hmm. can be happening at the international festival, something else happening at the fringe, and uh, but the fringe, if memory serves, is bigger like way bigger mm -hmm. in terms of the scope of what's going on than the international festival is right? yeah so actually just to give some, some further contest um they edinburgh kind of calls itself festival city especially within the month of august because there are five or six festivals all happening at the same time so there's the fringe festival the international festival which you chatted about but there's also a film festival there's a fine arts festival there's a book festival um, there's the Edinburgh Tattoo, which is um, a, a marching type event where there's lots of bagpipes, traditional Scottish music. So there's so much happening all within that city in August. But hands down, the biggest of those festivals is the Edinburgh Finch Festival. So to give you some ideas of the, the numbers behind it all, um, there were, wait, I have the exact number here, there were 3,553 shows that performed at Edinburgh Festival Fringe within 288 venues. So this thing is massive oh and it absolutely takes over the entire city. Two, over 200 venues, but over 3,000 shows. That's like, that's that's a lot of shows per venue. Yeah. I'm do some quick, quick math here. What is it? 3,000 divided by 200. That's like 15 shows a venue. Yeah. That's uh, wild. It is a lot. It is from a logistics standpoint. I just, I, every time I walk through the cities, the city streets, I just want to applaud everyone who's in, remotely involved in anything to do with the festival. It must be everybody's remotely so involved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that There's so much happening. And you walk through the streets and you're going to see posters. You're going to see someone busking. You're going to see someone with a lanyard. It's just the, the city absolutely becomes a, a giant festival hub and it's just wonderful 
walking around and knowing that everyone in there um, is appreciating art and creativity and uh, being in that atmosphere, just such a wonderful vibe. Tell me more about the vibes. Cause like logistics, I want to hear more about that. Like, so like give us, give us a, give us a, a, a prototypical a theoretical day in the life of a, of a Edinburgh festival fringe goer. Uh, well, I will preface this by saying that uh, I think I, my fringe festival was a fringe festival on overdrive just because I, there were so many shows that I wanted to see. I saw. Remember who, remember who you're talking to as a person, <laughs> okay. but also the audience. <laughs> yeah. No one listening to this is going to be like, oh, well, I saw a show today. It's like, no, it's like, oh, I have 17 shows today. <laughs> you know, like that's, um, that's who you're talking to. So okay. your experience is typical for our audience. Okay. Keep, perfect. You're in a safe space. Okay. I'm glad I'm amongst kindred spirits here. Um, so one nice thing about uh, Edinburgh Fringe, as opposed to some other fringe festivals I've been at, is that um, uh, every single show takes place at the exact same venue at the exact same time. So it's not like show A will be at venue one, uh, venue A at one thirty, and venue B at two thirty the next day. Um, so it's very much this show. If you like it, if you come back tomorrow, it'll be happening again at the same time, which made it a lot easier to plan. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, the shows start at. Uh, their show starting at as early as 9 a.m. in the evening, in the morning rather, and then shows ending as late as maybe 2 or 3 a.m. the following day. So you could, and I did, um, just absolutely fill your day with back-to-back-to-back performances. Um, Every show was around one hour long. There were some that were more of the one-and-a-half-hour type length. Uh, The longest one I went to was three-and-a-half hours. Whoa! Uh, Yeah, so quite a variation. But as a general rule, most of them end up being one hour long. Um, But you do have to account for the time it takes to go from venue to venue. So, uh, how spread out is everything? There's some general hubs where you could get from one venue to another in uh, five minutes. Some are right next door to each other. Um, Taking into account, of course, the amount of foot traffic that's on the streets there. Uh, there are a lot of people who walk very slowly at the Fringe Festival. Um, maybe they just weren't as in as much of a, a rush as I was, but I, I caught myself um, weaving in between crowds very often to, to get from one show to another in time. Um, but yeah, a lot of them are close by uh, together, but there are some as well that are a little bit on the fringes of the fringe, uh, geog- geographically speaking. So uh, for example, there's one... I know we're not talking immersive quite yet, but there was one immersive show I went to that wasn't even technically in Edinburgh. It was in an outside town that was a 20-minute train ride away. So um, Was Edinburgh... that the one on the military base? No, that one was technically in Edinburgh. This one was the one <laughs> in the swimming pool. Oh, the swimming pool one. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, let's, let's – okay, we've cracked it open. So, like, yeah. tell us about the swimming pool one. I mean, I, I want to I wanna... – yeah, because we brought them up. Tell us about the swimming pool one. Okay. Like, 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 yeah. Because you swam. I you swim. swim this show. I swim. Yeah. I brought my swimsuit. I brought my my goggles and my um, towel and my flip flops and all that. Uh, it was in a community high school at the beautiful swimming pool that they had there. Um, the lights were dimmed. There were projections on the walls. There was um, like aromatherapy scents in the air, huh. and yeah, um, there were all these like floating lights and pool floaties and um, just. There's a like a floating waterfall fountain thing in the in the pool. Uh, it was just I, there's a, a common trope of uh, immersive theater being likened to being immersed in a body of water, and so the fact that I was literally immersed in a body of water for the duration of this show was pretty cool. 
So what was the so they had all this stuff in the pool and they had the vibe. What was what was the show about? Yeah. So um, each one of us at the start of the experience was assigned a different body of water. Um, I can't remember the exact name of my body of water, but it was somewhere in Asia. I think it was a Vietnamese body of water of some kind. Um, and so the idea was that um, all of us were coming from different parts of the world, from our own body of water internationally and congregating at this pool, which was to be the, the meeting place where all of the, the world's waterways intersected. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a nice uh, analogy, too, because... Uh, even though I did not come there from Vietnam, I did come from further away than uh, Edinburgh, as did many people uh, travel to be there at the festival. So I was uh, swimming alongside these individuals. There was a, a little bit of structure to it, but the main purpose of it really was for you to um, uh, un unstructured play and floating and splash around if you want, throw a ball if you want, just interact with these different people within the pool. Um, but just, just do so in a way that keeps you mindful of um, the amount of water that is within us as human, human beings, but also the international uh, places that all this water that we interact with on a daily basis can come from. Were there, were there performers who were also portraying bodies of water in it, or was it all just participant swimmers? All just participant swimmers, okay. but there was a, um, I can't remember enough of the voiceover or just a, a, a written thing on a, on a, on the projection, but there was a, a, a general uh, loose narrative that was taught, told to us through through that. So almost like a guided swim water meditation. Exactly. Like, okay, exactly. I'm I'm grokking. I'm grokking. Yeah. Oh, that's really that's a nifty idea, and and can nice. travel well if you've got a decent pool, indoor. No, pool exactly. Was it indoor pool or outdoor pool? It was an indoor pool. Indoor pool. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that too is it was being it was brought to Edinburgh Fringe through an organization called Horizon, which mm. is a London-based organization that takes up-and-coming creatives and tries to, um, I guess, essentially pitch them to other arts festivals around the world. Now I remember they pitched this like, cause it, but it was like it was in Manchester or somewhere. Like it wasn't, it wasn't close enough for our London team to go, it would have been like three hours for them to get to it. Uh, so I'm really glad you got a chance to go, <laughs> go check it out. Like, yeah, it's all, it's all, all coming together. Yeah. Okay. So I, I got, I got, I got distracted by the idea of the pool. <laughs> uh, Cause it's, it's a visually interesting setup. What, what else, what was sort of the, you did a you did a piece. Uh, you've got you've got two pieces that'll be on the site by the time this is up. One is kind of an overall structural look at sort of like what what the trends were, you know, in immersive there. I think we'll come around to trends on the back end of this conversation. The other one was uh, you look at the fifteen pieces you really thought were exemplary. So take us through that a little bit. Like what what stood out? Um, you know, maybe let's do let's talk about three of them and save if you have a best of fringe, like an absolute, like this was the one, uh, save that for the end. But like, was there a piece that sort of surprised you? Maybe it was not categorized as immersive. And then you went to him like, Oh no, these people are deeply, deeply immersive. Um, or, or another piece that just sort of like, you know, took you at an oblique angle. Maybe, you know, you were, in a bad mood, uh, this, I always find this, like, I'll, I'll be maybe in like the worst mood or like my attitude will be like crappy. And then I'll, I'll either, and I'll go into a piece or go have a conversation 
and it'll be so good that it just flips my script. Was, was there a show that did that for you? Well, first off, having to pick only three is going to be very difficult. It was hard I... enough picking only 15 <laughs> to write about. Um, I, I watched 57 shows during the festival, and there was no way I could write about all 57, but narrowing it down to 15 was hard, and narrowing it down to three is going to be Okay, I'll five. I'll give you five, right? You know, I'll okay. use the pressure just a little bit, you know? Uh, well, I guess what I was, start... what was there one that, like, you know, flipped the script? Yeah, for? one that flipped the script. Um we did not rehearse this obviously like these are the authentic <laughs> questions i'm asking you know right now real time like, responses. you do to prepare and it's like i'm just like oh not really you know i don't know what i'm <laughs> going to say so why should you so uh, <laughs> well i mean i guess i have done a lot of preparation in that i i spent time to, to write the you article saw 50 and, and just, yeah. plus shows that's that was your prep work right you just go with your gut you know yeah well i think one that i'll call out as um I don't know if it turned around my day, but it definitely made the day that much more magical. There was one experience I did called Two Strangers Walk Into a Bar. That's out okay. of Australia. And um, I went to this on the very last day of the, f- the festival that I was there. So on that day, I did, I think, 12 shows in one day. And I was really hustling from one to another, you know, kind of feeling the grind. I just kind of wanted to sit down and not think for a while. So by the time that I got here, I was, I was pretty tired. Um, but it was one of those moments that, everything just felt so incredibly magical um, to, to give you some idea of the premise. So the, the show is called two strangers walk into a bar, which is a very familiar type premise or type concept. And it kind of riffs on that idea. So as opposed to being directed to a theater, you're told to go to a specific bar and to sit at a specific seat. And once you're sitting there, one of the facilitators hands me, um, handed me a, a bag um, and gave me an audio headset. And the, the audio headset at first was just playing some um, gentle music and a, a kind of like a playful narration. But as the experience started, um, it gave me some instructions of what to do. So at one point I was told to um, look at the, the back leg of my seat because there was a fortune cookie there. So I physically got the fortune cookie and opened it up and the fortune cookie told me, oh, hey, you're gonna meet a stranger who will help define part of your life um, at one point, I was told to look at a certain part of the wall, and there was a piece of graffiti there that told me what to do next. Um, so it was a really cool mishmash of, of audio experience with real life things happening. Uh, within the bag, there's a notebook. So I was doing some exercises about, you know, do I believe in love at first sight and true love? Um, do I believe in fate? Um, and, and some of that more like woo-woo type discussion type thinking. Um, that was in part meditation, but layered with such playfulness that it didn't feel on the nose. Mm. Um, but as the um, as the experience progressed, um, it came apparent that I was not the only one in the bar who was doing this experience. There was actually a stranger who was similarly going through the same audio narration. And I was led to a different table at the bar. Um, and this stranger uh, sent me a drink. Um, and as I turned around, I locked eyes with a stranger and I ended up sitting at the same table as them. And keep in mind the entire time, there's this audio narration that's telling me what to do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm at the table with a stranger and then we're both given a script of, of uh, things to say to each other with some um, areas for us to improvise based on our actual experiences and, and who we actually are. Um, yeah. And all throughout, there were just all these moments of uh, surprise and delight. Um, at one point, there was something written at a specific place in the tablecloth. 
Um, at another point, we were asked to exchange gifts from the bag that we had given. So oh I gave goodness. the stranger a potato and they gave me a brick. So just like, <laughs> absolutely so quirky and lovely. I felt like I was in a rom-com, like, like 500 days of summer, if, if it were actually like not a toxic type relationship, just in terms yeah. of the quirkiness of it all. It was just, it was so fun. So fun. That, that sounds brilliant. Like absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I love the idea of, because when you're describing like that, there was a little thing on like the tablecloth, like written, like I had that flash, you know, like there'll be those like images where it's like, I'll blow this up. Now look to the left. Now look yeah. to the right. Now do yeah. this right over here. Like I was getting those vibes of like, you know, there's a little thing hidden here. And if you go here, you do this and like leading you down this little primrose path. Uh, all to like you know make a make a connection or just it, but but also because you're inhabiting a role like it's not oh wow it was that so is two so two strangers walk into a bar yeah wow. that feels like I got to reach out to those folks we got to get that program somewhere I want to experience no, seriously it. Yeah. do and it's the yeah. kind of thing that again could travel because a lot of it is is Easily. audio based. Yeah, and I, yeah I, I would love everyone to experience that. And the thing, even at the festival, because it's an experience made for two people, they weren't allowed to host as many people as if they were at a theater that was seating right. 50 to 100 people or more at once. So that one sold out very quickly. And I was very grateful that I got the opportunity to experience it. But I yeah. wish more people could have done it. Yeah, like that would be, there's, you. That feels like something that belongs installed somewhere, yeah. like for a long period yeah. of time, like just full stop. And yeah. and we'll leave it at that. I, I feel like I'd talk for the next like 10 minutes about like how people <laughs> could do that. Uh, if perchance you are the makers of this show, uh, reach out to me because like I want to I want to do this thing. Uh, and maybe there's people I know here that I'd just be like, OK, like, let's get this going on, you know, Um this sounds like something that really should be exported uh, to as many places as humanly possible, as fast as possible. I want to see it now. I'm going to, I am now Veruca Salting. <laughs> Just like, I want it now, 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 daddy. Uh, I want to do this show. Um, okay. Uh, well, before, uh, before Willy Wonka comes for me, uh, what, wh let's, let's find another one. So that one, mm -hmm. a little intimate, uh, a little really participatory, uh, you you had you had the hands on it. Also the the swimming one, like fully participatory. So tell me about the one that was what the Dutch embassy, like with the ghost girls yes. or whatever. Is it, <laughs> and was that something that was participatory or kind of world buildy? Because I was getting world buildy vibes. Yeah, I like how you call them ghost girls. That's a, that's a good I don't know what else to call them. I saw a photo and they were just like you know veiled. They were like in veils, like looking like ghost girls. Yeah. So well, they're they're uh, they're known as the sisters in, in okay. capitalized S. So are they ghosts? Called, they're, they're not ghosts. I mean, <laughs> maybe they are. They, they moved are. Okay. very ethereally, so they did feel very otherworldly. Uh, I think they're ghost girls. girls. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> and it wasn't just girls either. There were people from all over the the, the gender spectrum represented. Here. Okay. So there were there's some male presented people as well. Does doesn't stop you from being a sister as as is yes, well established. That's true. Or a yeah. ghost doesn't stop you from being a ghost. Or a ghost. Either. Yeah. You know, Indeed. like oh, there, there's a whole door to open. Uh. So okay. So. <laughs> Lordy. Okay, so tell me about this one. Uh, yes. So that one was called uh, Sensuous Governing. Sorry, Sensuous Governing. Right. Also, what a what a name, Sensuous yeah. Governing. Okay. So good. Take me through this, man. Yeah. So uh, Sensuous Governing. Um, it's from a, a 
production company out of Denmark. So like Noah was saying, they use the, the Danish embassy of in Edinburgh Danes, as their location. Danes. So my, my, my fault, not Dutch, Danish. I Danish. do that all the time. All That's on me. That's on me. A commonly so. made mistake, but, uh, well, yeah, I'm an so- American. We just make, we just, we just, we just decide what countries, which even when we just, we just relabel countries all the time. It's what we do. It's, <laughs> it's, it's our birthright. Okay. Oh, so, <laughs> just to be clear for everyone, Noah is being sarcastic. <laughs> Okay, so Sensha was governing. Um, yeah, so this was an interesting one in that it was not labeled as immersive. Mm. The way that the, the way that I found out about this one was by exploring the, the website. They do have the word immersive within their bio, but um, every single show was given a couple genre tags, and they were tagged as performance art and spe- site specific. So not specifically immersive, although there is overlap, I guess, between site spe- site specific rather and immersive. Uh, and this one was a really interesting combination of both being heavily dependent on audience participation, but also mm. with a very specific narrative as well, too. So okay. a good, uh, good uh, one to talk about next. So for this one, it was um, they were um, as an organization, they're trying to imagine, you know, what could an alternate way of operating within society be instead of us um, concentrating on the, um, the economy or on uh, just capitalistic ideals, what would it look like if we were instead paying attention to um, the way that we feel both physically and mentally and the communities that we can build because of that? Mm. That's a very broad idea, yeah. um, but, but the way that they did it, oh, sorry, you were going to say oh, No, something. I was like, yeah, tell me, how do they bring it down into something specific? Because like yeah. big ideas are great, but specificity is key. Yeah. So um, the name of the show was Sensuous Governing, um, and they really did play into the whole idea of senses throughout it. So at the start of the uh, experience, we were all blindfolded and led one by one through the the spiral staircase of the the Danish consulate. So we were essentially climbing upstairs blindfolded, which is probably not the the kind of thing that you're supposed to do uh, when you're climbing upstairs. But um, we were led the entire time by these these sisters who were guiding us through both touch and also uh, just... Uh, gentle instruction on, on how to get there. And as we went up, um, at one point, I was made to, to hold a very heavy rock, at one time to hold a, a feather, just to show the difference in contrast. At one point, my, my hands were, were washed by one of the sisters. Um, mm. There was a lot of aromatherapy again as well. Um, and there was dancing involved. So just a very, very physical experience. Um, at the very start and at the very end, um, we, we looked up at the stairwell and you could see people holding that rock over the stairwell. So it's one of those things that if you had let go of that rock, you would have dropped it on, on someone who was underneath watching. Um, and of course, the sisters were there you know, keeping an eye on people. And I, I suspect that they probably had their hands underneath as well, too. But just that level of trust as well in, in terms oh of God. creating that community. So again, very, very... Um, sense related a very um experiential type experience but there was an overall narrative in that in the very beginning we answered answered a bit of a survey about how do you feel right now uh, physically and mentally you know what are your um, what are your hopes for society and then at the very end we were brought into a room and we're all still um partially blindfolded but we were led through a bit of a a meditation about like what are the things that you value within society or what have you learned from doing this what are the things that you're still learning uh, and throughout, we we uh, rewrote down um, our thoughts on a piece of paper, and then at the end uh, for the the closing ritual, 
we, we gave these closing thoughts to one of the sisters and uh, we all signed a bit of a guest book and they saved that, that guest book, I guess, for, for future recollection. So it was a, it was a very weird experience and I, I was yeah. trying to con- convince other people to go. Um, but every time I talk about it, I feel like it just sounds like a, like a cult ritual. But in, <laughs> yeah. It, it felt like a cult, but like a very good, like lovely cult that doesn't want to hurt people. Yeah. I mean, many immersive things like have the cult vibes and some people like go for them. I got to admit when you said like, you know, that people were holding the rock over other people's heads yeah. and they let go. Like I blanched a bit because I, I can think of a few characters I know, meaning people who would be like, oh, well, let me see what happens if I drop this oh, rock, no. right? You yeah. know, uh, so that's a, that's a lot of trust. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily trust Americans to do <laughs> that. Let me just rename I'm, this I'm rock. Sure you know, they, oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure that they had a... I mean, I was blindfolded, so I don't know exactly what was happening, but I'm sure that they thought that through. It was I just hope a they really did. good experience, though. And um, so the organization that does it, Sisters Hope, they actually have a, a location in Denmark where you can go and live amongst the sisters for a period of time and wow. more explore this idea. Okay, and Okay, so cult then? No. Yeah, uh, kind yeah, of. But uh, I mean, as far maybe as Maybe just commune. Maybe just commune. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I think you only go for a couple couple days at a time or once one day a month. Kind Does of it run all the time, or is it only once a month? It it, it it's like a. Anyway, we'll 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll look into. I mean, they just there's plenty of things that are immersive that are probably cults. Uh, let's just be let's be real. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I make all my money deprogramming people from cults. That's not true. I don't make money, and I don't do that. Don't come here for that <laughs> as a service. I just thought it would be a fun thing to say, and now I'm like, maybe I should make money doing that. Um, no, I couldn't handle that emotionally. Why did I bring this up? I should cut this. Anyway, not a cult. <laughs> not accusing anyone of being a cult. Just you know, re- cult as a service to go play at being a cult. Um, there we go. I'm gonna get in so mm-hmm. much trouble. Maybe they can focus on the part where I where I misidentified them as Dutch uh, instead. Uh, remember, Danish is Hamlet, uh, and and the pastries, and uh, Dutch is windmills. So that's that's how you have to do that. Uh, that's for my fellow Americans. I know Canadians don't have that problem. You're just you're sitting here judging me as well. You should. Um, okay, so I've butchered that segment and leaving it all to hang out. Uh, but, um, okay. So we got, we got our, we got our, uh, participatory and narrative culty vibe, you know, section, uh, done in a weird specific place. Um, uh, tell us about something, uh, that maybe just lean fully in on the spectacle side, but still managed to tick the box and actually be immersive still. Ooh, leaned fully on the spectacle side, but still managed to tick the box. Am I allowed to talk about the International Festival or do you? Absolutely, you're allowed to talk about the okay. International Festival. Like, Let's do that. Because they get blurred, they get blurred yeah. together, right? So, uh, and I guess when you're talking spectacle, it normally is within the International Festival because whereas the Fringe Festival tends to be a lot more uh, bare bones, the International Festival is where they get that big budget to be able to build out this, those big, beautiful sets. So I'm going to chat about um, Food by Jeff Sabel. Because that was quite the spectacle and really, really great. Uh, Yeah, so uh, the concept of food is um, about food. So it's it's something that we all consume or talk about or deal with on a regular basis. But he does a bit of a deep dive into um, like what does it mean to eat food? Where does that food come from? What are the somewhat snobbish societal constructs that we have created around this very basic human need? 
So it's broken up into two sections, the first, uh, which takes place at a, a bit of a fancy dinner party, uh, and the second, which takes place um, on a dirt field, basically. Uh, yeah, so from a spectacle mm -hmm. standpoint, the, um, the transition of a fancy dinner party to a, a dirt field was quite, inst quite inspiring, um, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, at the start of the experience, uh, a number of us were sitting around a, a big table at a seemingly fancy restaurant, and uh, Jeff Sabell was our waiter for the evening. So he would come up to us, uh, give us a menu where we could, uh, in quotations, order some food. How uh, many people, by the way, you mentioned that Jeff is your waiter. So yes. I'm imagining like a dozen or 16 or something or uh, I don't know the exact number but it was a huge table so it's oh, okay. bigger than bigger than any dinner table you've ever seen in your life okay um I'm gonna let's ballpark let's say there were like 50 people around the table and it was just him yeah just him Whoa, um, so he okay. wasn't actually so that's the thing, he wasn't actually it wasn't a restaurant he wasn't actually serving us food oh, okay there was okay. only <laughs> one instances instance where someone got something that was edible but the rest of the things were things that you clearly did not want to eat uh, case in point, at one time he handed me a menu, a wine menu, and in the menu it said, do not drink the thing that I am about to pour from you. Oh, wow. So he poured me what looked like wine. I suspect it was like gasoline or some kind of like rubbing alcohol type thing. Um, but the instruction was to um, to smell it and to think about you know, when was the last time you smelled this exact scent? Um, give me a year, give me a time. And then I was given a microphone and I was... Uh, made to wax poetic about this scent the way that one might wax poetic about a, a certain type of wine. Oh, wow. So very playful take on food and different people were given different menus with different instructions. Um, but yeah, it just, it was a, a, such an interesting uh, way of pointing out the absurdity of the fine dining industry and how uh, it's, just, it's just so playful and so absurd. <laughs> so when you said different people were given menus, what, mm -hmm. I imagine not all of the 50, but some portion of folks. Mm -hmm. So certain people were picked out to participate. Exactly. Uh, and in addition to the around 50 people around the table, um, there was also bleachers area outside the table. Uh, and some people there got to uh, interact or be involved in the more immersiveness of the experience. But I would say that it was mainly the 50-ish the, the people at the table itself that got the true immersive experience of it all. Was was the was being at the table a, a a specific kind of ticket or an opt in thing or was everyone sort of just just you got in you just go like free for all was it mm -hmm. free for all in terms of seating or how how did that work because like I'm always interested particularly when when a when a participatory piece feels a little more stagey and the moments are more spotlighty. Mm -hmm. right and because the number one thing that people always say to me when I talk about immersive theater like you know, if it isn't like, wow, that sounds amazing. We'll be like, oh, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get called out. <laughs> right. And so I hear about something like this and I'm like, oh, this is one of those shows where people get called out. How, how does someone control that part of the experience or, yes. or do they? So it was reserved seating. Um, so okay. I specifically had the, I, I was told that I had that specific place at that specific table. Um, I'm not sure with the bleachers, if it was, if it was reserved seating there or if it was assigned seating for the bleachers but you had to have a specific ticket in order to be at the table itself. Okay. Okay. And that was something you opt in for. Yes. So, yeah. okay. So you know what you're getting into. Yeah, that, I knew. That's, that's good. Mm -hmm. Although that can also bring the cheese balls, but that's a whole other thing. And it's food. So cheese balls. Exactly. So, um, so then it progresses into the dirt field. And when you first said that, I was like, what? And then I was like, yeah, oh, it makes total sense. Cause dirt is where food comes from. Exactly. So, 
Tell us so about that part. Yeah, so it went from um, Jeff Sabell in his, his waiter garb with the, the crisp white shirt and the, the little vest that a waiter might have. Um, and he took the tablecloth that was on our ginormous table and just ripped it off the table very aggressively. And underneath this table was a big pile of dirt, which none of us expected because it was quite the juxtaposition. Um, so he jumped up on the table still wearing his you know, his pristine white waiter's clothes and just got right down in the dirt. So I, I can only imagine how, how uh, his dry cleaning bill looks like at the end of this all because he was absolutely covered afterward. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, hidden within the dirt, there were different um, like different structures, I guess you could say. So he was um, charting the, the timeline of how uh, agriculture first started within society. So um, he pulled up some buffalo at first and then track their migration patterns and then you know they uh, were certain like communities that grew up and popped up around those buffalo and then they started planting things um and then i guess like they discover oil and then more buildings pop up and all of a sudden there are roads that are constructed and throughout it all um we were participating in this as well too so um the edges of the table became like the roadways. So he had um, like model trucks that he was passing around. And so we were moving the trucks around and then members of the, the bleachers were given um, building structures that they placed wherever they wanted. Uh, and it really just go to show how chaotic things were getting, how it started with oh, such wow. a simple concept of let's build these, let's plant these crops so we can feed our people. And all of a sudden there's not enough space for the, the trucks to get through. And where are you going to put this building that, someone from the bleachers is trying to put on the table, but there's no more space on the dirt and it's so chaotic. Um, so just a really great way of communicating that, hey, yeah, I know that food is important, um, but do we need to make it so complicated and destructive and crazy? Or is there a way that we can do this in a way that's much more natural and, and less harmful to the environment? So a lot of oh, cool yeah. commentary there. And this entire time he was completely silent. So this commentary was happening purely from what we were seeing and what we were interacting with. So like, when you say the entire time, you mean like both acts of this performance, he did not speak. He, he, the, the text was just on the menus alone. So, uh, sorry, my bad. The, the first act he did speak. Okay. The second, okay. the second half. So it just also added to once, the Once he moved in act two. He, exactly. Yeah. About how long was the whole thing? Oh, I can't remember top of my head. I think maybe an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Double can double check that one. Actually, give me one second. Let me. Yeah. It sounds so, but no intermission, right? It sounds no like intermission. It, 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 it just, went straight went right into so it. Probably ninety minutes makes sense. Like more than that, the stamina on a performer just kind of like goes. Yeah. Goes. It was a good one though. Very special. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we we've talked about uh, swimming. We've talked about running around the. Uh, the Danish consulate uh, we've talked to or embassy uh, we've talked about uh, uh, food um, so running participatory and spectacle and everything what as as we close our, our time here uh, on this uh, before we talk about like the, the festival as a whole and sort of what trends you saw if there was one show all right if there was one show that if magically the whole list came about, Right, and people could go see. Uh, what would you recommend if people could only do one thing? What oh, would be gosh. the absolute, you know, this is the one, or or if this pops up in your town, you absolutely must 
you know, or not even your town, pops up a two hour drive away, <laughs> a short bus trip, you know, mm-hmm. a train, a plane hop. Mm-hmm. What, what would be the one that people just absolutely shouldn't mm-hmm. stop themselves from going to see? Well, I've already talked about two strangers walking to a bar as well as sensuous governing. So um, definitely check those out if it's close to you because those two are amazing. But in the spirit of chatting about another show as well, too, um, I really want to shout out uh, Funeral as well. Um, I, I, I'm going to mispronounce how to, to say the name of the company. Everyone but does. I know. I feel so bad. <laughs> Don't <laughs> worry. You're on my show. I butcher every name imaginable. Oh, God. So. Uh, okay, let me try. Um, if no one's if look, here's what it comes down to. You're yeah. reading it, but no one's ever said it to you from the people who did okay. it. So that's just the way it goes. Go for it. Okay. Um on for Ren Goed. That tends to be what I say. So okay. yeah. on for Ren Goed. Uh sometimes I say Geoid, but I know it, but Goed's probably right. So okay. uh, I don't know. I need to like we we're not gonna go look it up on YouTube to find out how someone says it. So uh, I mean, I, I probably am going to afterward just so that from now on I say it properly. Both but I, I do apologize to the world for saying it wrong if I said it wrong. Yeah. So funeral. Uh, this this piece uh, was getting a lot of buzz too. Mm-hmm. So tell us about it. Yes. So it's uh, it's one of those pieces that I almost don't want to talk about too much because it's very much mm-hmm. more than the sum of its parts. Um, but the overall premise is that, um, it's like, it's an alternative funeral, but instead of mourning one specific person in general, we're mourning and remembering all the people in our, our lives that have made an impact on us. And that could be someone who has passed away. It could be a relationship you had with someone who is no longer within your life, even if they are not physically gone from this world. Uh, and as opposed to a, a typical funeral where you might uh, say a mass or you might like walk around a casket, um, this was a, a much uh, more creative way of looking at it. And I'd say also a much more community focused way of, of mourning and remembering than the typical funeral. Uh, so right from the very beginning of the show, there was a, a lot of community building. So the way that we walked into the building was that as, uh, as people filed into the room, Every time you passed one other member of the uh, the audience, they went up to you and they shook your hand and they, they greeted you. So you were essentially walking past every single member of the audience, shaking everybody's hand. And then once you got to your part at the end of the line, you joined the line and shook the hand of everyone who entered after you. So how do they communicate that to you? Did they tell you or did they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or was it something that you started walking the, the line and it became obvious what mm-hmm. was supposed to happen. So the very first person in line, as well as the very last, was a member of the, the company. Uh, and they didn't specifically tell you, you're going to do this next. But you, know, you, you kind of figured it out. And as I started doing it first, I'm like, what, what's going on? Are all of these people actors? Are all these people part of the, the show? And then as you progress, you realize, okay, no, these are all members of the audience. But they are part of the show because this is the right. kind of show where you really are involved in it. I, I love when a company finds a way to communicate uh, these kind of social structures, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it starts to feel almost like, you know, like a piece of psychic design. Like, yeah. you know, you're showing people how to behave. You're, you're hoping they pick up what you put down uh, by, you know, by the human tendency to, to mimic. Uh, so, so when you went in, there was already like a, a good number of people who mm-hmm. were 
already there. And so mm-hmm. the first person you shook the hand of, and then the next person reached out and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Oh, wow. And they, they also gave us towels beforehand to wash our hands because of, you know, germs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was grateful for that. But uh, yeah, all throughout there were just these, these wonderful moments of community building. Um, at a certain point, we were all handing logs down the line until everyone had a log and then we all sat down. Um, there's a certain point where we, we were doing a, a, a progression around a, like a stone monolith. Again, this is sounding very culty, but I assure you it is not culty and it was beautiful. Um, it's a very, very touching experience. Um, one of the other center points was, so before we entered the room, there was someone in the company who was holding a book and we were asked if there was anyone in our lives that we were actively mourning. Mm. Um, so my, my grandmother passed away uh, this past March, and I, I've still been, been processing the fact that she's no longer in my life. Um, so I, I gave her name to the, the book. And at the very end of the, the show, they um, said the names of every single one of those people who was added to mm. that book. Uh, and I started crying. I was yeah. so emotional. And as I looked around the room, there were other people tearing up as well too and i I mean i know the whole idea of of a of like a a normal funeral is the idea that hey you're not alone in your grief this is a kind of thing that's part of life but there was just something about the way that they did this and in the non-traditional structure of it all that i really did genuinely feel like hey you know I'm, i'm sad right now but this is an emotion that other people understand and i don't need to be alone in processing these emotions so it was very special that sounds beautiful. I also, when, when you wrote about it in the overview piece, you, you made note that they created space on the back mm. end for the audience to connect with each other. Yes. So at the very end, we were led through what essentially looked like a, a church basement. Uh, and we were asked if we wanted, a, wanted to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And we were given spaces to, to talk with other people. So there were tables set up there with chairs and we were all sipping our, our, our tea. And having conversations. And sometimes the conversation would just be more of a traditional, how's your fringe going? What have you seen? Any recommendations? Um, But the conversations got quite deep. And there was uh, one woman in particular I spoke to um, who I I, I saw her within the theater and she was having a, like a really good cry in there. So we asked her, Hey, are, are are you okay? No, is there anything we can do to help? Uh, And she was telling us that she was very actively grieving an individual and didn't know much about the experience going into it but that this experience of, of a funeral was just such a powerful way to celebrate that person that she was grieving mm-hmm. um, and to do so in just a, such a, a beautiful community-based way. And there, there were a lot of shows at Fringe that, that um, explored this idea of, of community and, and connecting with other people, but funeral in particular actually gave us the space to, to talk to people and to you know, digest it together. Because I think there's something really beautiful in, in uh, again, knowing that you're not alone in it. You're not alone in experiencing this grief, but you're also not alone in uh, processing that grief together. And this show really made space to process those emotions together. That sounds absolutely beautiful. So we've talked about some specific shows. I've got you for just a couple more minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, pull back to the 50,000 foot level. Is, is mm-hmm. there anything in terms of the, the trends you saw, uh, you know, in terms of the kind of work that was being made or the way people are talking about the work, uh, you know, particular 
aspects or bags mm-hmm. of tricks that people are leaning on uh, that seem to be, you know, weaving their way through the, the, the firmament here of these 50 plus shows you saw. Yeah. I think the big thing for me, I mean, I was specifically looking out for it because I was going to all the immersive stuff. Um, it was a little difficult to figure out what was actually immersive because yeah. I was, especially at the start, I was going to some shows that were tagged as immersive. Um, and there was one show in particular I went to, I won't say it by name because it was a great show, um, but I don't think it was immersive because all that they did was give me a brownie to eat at a very specific time in the show. <sighs> yeah. And it was, it was a well, well acted, like explored really important topics, but I don't think it should have used the immersive tag. Um, and there were a number of shows like that where I'm, I just thought, don't use the immersive tag for this. There, there are other tags that would have been more fitting. It's a little bit misleading. Um, but I think in some ways and you're priming people, it, you're priming people to like yeah. expect something, but, it, but because things, because there's still some degree of ambiguity yeah. in the wide world about what the term means, we, we see this, we see this at like every fringe festival yeah. where like someone's like, oh, I break the fourth wall. It's immersive. It's like, no, it's not buddy. Yeah. Like that's Shakespeare breaks the fourth wall. You can do immersive Shakespeare, but doing Shakespeare isn't automatically immersive. Yeah. Right. So I, I think some people thought of it as a, like, exactly like a hook, like, oh, we're cool, interesting, we're immersive, come check us out. But it wasn't actually. Yeah. But yeah, and then on the flip side, things like Big Funeral, which I just waxed poetic about with great emotion for a good deal of time, that was not tagged as immersive. There were a lot of shows I saw that were deeply immersive. And if I were to define what immersive was, it, was, it would exactly be those shows, but they were not tagged as immersive. And some of them didn't even have the immersive word in the bio at all. Yeah. So it well, made and, it difficult. And and the 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 Edinburgh Fringe uh, website allows people to do two tags, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's one of the the limitations there. But yeah, people people in their bios like not talking about you know this. And I know there's there's some trends where like people are like, oh, I don't want to use that word anymore. Like like my work isn't immersive, and it's like, well. Uh, are you deeply engaging the audience in a fully functional world and create a sense of presence where they have agency in the world? It's like, yes. It's like, sorry, you're immersive. <laughs> Apologies, but you're doing it right. So don't, don't, uh, don't shy away because someone else, I don't know, put a screensaver on a wall yeah. and charge $40. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think the feel from it as well, I, I, I can't speak to how immersive it is in LA. I know it's a lot more developed there, but, but speaking to, to Toronto, <laughs> But speaking to Toronto, I feel like people people in Toronto see immersive and they think, oh, immersive Van Gogh. That's what immersive is, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, to an extent, it could be immersive. But um, I think people here, from my experience, are still trying to understand what does immersive mean? Whereas in the UK, there's a much more developed immersive scene. People have a better idea of what it actually is. Yeah. And so as a result, I think a lot more people are using that word as that buzzword, as opposed to here in Toronto, a lot of people don't know what immersive is, so they're less likely to use it as a buzzword. Yeah, no, and I think we saw that in LA, a lot of people using it as a buzzword. And indeed, the phenomenon of, I mean, look, the the Van Gogh experiences from a technical, literal standpoint is like, yes, everywhere you turn, you're, you're in you know, you're in the the field, right? Like, so in lowest common denominator, bare minimum effort, you check, you tick the box. The thing is, is that there's, there's almost nothing else to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And this has been the problem with those all along. Uh, and there's some people who go like, well, it's tainted the word because it's, and I don't, I don't hold that it's tainted the word. Uh, if anything, it just demonstrated that 
there's a really big demand, you know, for people looking for something that's going to envelop them. Like mm-hmm. that's why the word works the marketing tour term. And if you can deliver on an experience like funeral, like the the two strangers walk into a bar, like the swimming pool thing, whose name I've forgotten already. Bodies. Bodies. bodies like bodies, like sensuous governing. If you can deliver an experience that, you know, surrounds people and connects them, then, you know, you're delivering on the promise of the word. So uh, don't don't be afraid. People are looking and they want, uh, they seek. So well, hey, you got to get back to work. Uh, thanks for stealing some time from your day and your lunch break and you who haven't eaten yet today. So I hope you eat some before <laughs> we before we let you back out into the world. Uh, if folks want to follow your adventures, uh, any, I mean, you don't have to, you can tell people like, don't follow me on Instagram, but like if people want to catch up uh, and see what you're up to and, and all your other things, is there anywhere online where people should go other than nopersinium.com, obviously? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm on Instagram. Um, my, my Instagram handle is the Catalysts. Catalysts spelled with a K, like my first name, and then plural. So the Very Catalysts. Good. Yeah, that's Very me. Good. All right. Well, uh, catch up with uh, Cat's Adventures out in the world. And uh, thank you again for bringing us all this Edinburgh uh, goodness. It was fantastic having a correspondent on the ground uh, there this year. And I'm glad it was you. I'm glad it was me too. It's been a, a bucket lister for me for the longest time. So being able to go and especially to go as part of No Proscenium was a very special experience. Once again, I want to thank Katrina for being our guest on the show, for being our curator in Toronto, for seeing all those shows in Edinburgh and coming back and telling us about them. Again, on the site right now, you can find her picks for her 15 picks of the festival. Uh, and those, of course, are coming from all around the world. So there's a good chance they're happening in your neck of the woods. Or hopefully, my sincere hope is that by us putting a spotlight on some of this, that we can get these works uh, coming into uh, other places. Um and, and more on that uh, on next week's episode of the show. Uh, I just realized there's some notes I could have put together, but uh, I've been running around. I've been running around to a lot of shows. Uh, one of the reasons why I sound hoarse and tired is because I'm hoarse and tired. Um, uh, there's a fun thing about that, actually, in a second. But uh, not that being hoarse is, is fun. A part of it's, of course, you know, you know I'm, I'm I've got a class of CalArts right now. Uh, I, I think I, I think I scared all the students. Maybe they're listening. If you're listening, if you're a student and you're listening, hi, uh, I was going to tell them to like, listen to this episode and then I forgot to tell them to listen to this episode. Maybe I'll just put a note in the, in the, yeah. Anyway, I'll tell them to listen to this episode. Hi. Um, I think I scared them all with the first solo project and now I'm like, all oh, maybe I'm doing this in the wrong order. Um, uh, you know, they sort of toss you in the deep end the first time you teach university. So I'm sort of tossing my students in the deep end the first time they're messing with uh, with immersive. We're all in this together. Uh, so if you're listening, just know, hey, <laughs> we're going to help each other swim. It's going to be fine. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it, uh, to, to keeping up with the class. But that's not the only reason why, uh, you know, my voice just hasn't a chance to recover from, you know, a three-hour class because... 
Um, well, first thing before class this week, uh, I did get to check out uh, a couple of the pieces that are in uh, uh, the Visions 2030 Earth Edition Festival on the CalArts campus, which is happening right now, even as we speak. Uh, I got to check out uh, they had they had converted the Coffeehouse Theater uh, into this uh, like an educational space, but like this artist. Um, had filled it with all of these plants. So you felt like you were in like a greenhouse or a hothouse or, you know, kind of like indicating towards like a jungle environment inside the coffee house. It was delightful, wonderful. Um, I was in the coffee house space cause we're going to use that for class next week. And just, just fantastic vibes. Uh, there's a name, Ooh, I took a photo of it. Maybe I'll come up. Maybe I'll look up the photo. I took a lot of photos last night. I'm not gonna find those photos. Sorry. So there's there's a there's a name of that particular installation piece, and I'm sorry for not having that up in front of me. I just thought of it right now. Um, but uh, I also got to check out the Dream Dome, and gotta say about the Dream Dome, um, the main dome projection experience, uh, the way they set it up, definitely one of the best trippiest vibiest dome things I've gotten to do really well executed on that front still like a lot of like Mandelbot patterns going on but like you know with purpose but also just really well done like a sense of you feel like you're traveling you don't just feel like you're you know my complaint with dome often is like oh it's a screensaver uh or everything's going towards this vanishing point. They're not taking advantage of the full, you know, weight of the dome. Um, which is, which is why when we see glimpses of what's going on at the sphere in Vegas, like the interior stuff that like Darren Aronofsky keeps on sharing, like I get excited because like, it's not that. And this, while it still had like, you know, a central focus point of vanishing point, it was using that to proper effect. Like you felt like you were sort of like shooting off into the Onira sphere at times. So uh, worth going down, I think, for that alone and then checking out some of the other installations. Like all the artists I got a chance to talk to as I was going around campus and running into people, very thoughtful about how they're you know, thinking about using their installations to bring people together, to get people to think more deeply about uh, the environment and and the whole festival set up to sort of bring people together and 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 think as as a unit as well as as individuals, and that sort of intentionality of design, I think, is something that uh, would be well for us all to study, and more on that going forward for all kinds of reasons. Um, all right, I promised you though, I promised you Angel of Light, which is what I saw at the end of Wednesday after class. And I also promise you scary farm. Let's start with angel of light. I'm going to give a formal review next week uh, in, in the rundown. Like it doesn't justify a full feature review, uh, which is unfortunate because I think, you know, here's the thing about it. Like the marketing on this one has been very good, very slick, really interesting imagery. And that imagery you will find inside the piece, no doubt, right? Like the aesthetics, when they execute on the aesthetics, know what I just said, uh, are on point. Um, the Los Angeles theater, which is where this event takes place, 
he is just a gem and a jewel. And every time I'm in there, I'm angry that we don't get to be in there more often. I'm angry that immersive things don't get to be in there more often. <laughs> like, seriously. I'm angry that just like a concert, a show, a movie, that place is gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Even when it's like being a little run down. And they light that sucker so well. Like the aesthetics, again, when they're executing on them are on point. The problem with this experience, the problem with this show is it pulls you up into the vibe or pulls you down into the vibe. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. It goes both ways. And then it just unceremoniously drops you out over and over again. There is, uh, and, and the first bit felt like a queue line for an amusement park ride or for an amusement park haunt. And this, these punctuated moments of just conga lining. And then we got into what was like the first maze, what turned out to be like the first maze, not really knowing how much there was to it. And then the vibes were so good and, and it was really going great. And then we hit, and this was on like, you know, press opening night, you know, media night, fetting night, celebrities. Uh, we hit a, like a pipe and drape little vestibule and they weren't quite ready for us to go into the next part. And it dropped the vibe. And that was disappointing, but like forgivable because it's like, yeah, you know, they're still working the kinks out, right? Getting people through. And, and look, this thing has like 75 actors on staff. This is a huge production. There, there are video walls in this thing. There's like enough, you know, lighting equipment to like, you know, do a, a full on rock show. There's a lot of money being spent. So then we go through the next bit of, of, of that first maze and the vibes were immaculate again, just like, like really good. And then we get dropped out into a lobby where there's a bar and then a back bar and then people kind of milling about and some street atmosphere characters going on, but no real sense of where the hell we're supposed to go. And we wind up in that mezzanine for like a half an hour, not knowing where we're supposed to go. Something that could have been dissolved with some like stanchions, a sign, a little bit of signage, something. Um, one of the people I was with when we came out of that first maze started laughing uncontrollably because they thought that the show was over, that that was it. Right. Like, you know, like big ticket price, relatively speaking, like, you know, I think like the, the tickets were originally like 77 bucks or something along those lines. So double check it. There's some discounts going on right now, but like that was just it. And I was like, there's no way that's just it. And there were little encounter rooms off to the side, but it took a while to sleuth out that there was like, behind a door was like the next line and then the next line got you through like the backstage part of the theater you, you we, we you know uh we we had to cross the, the the catering pathway to get to like one of the like squeezy things like squeeze down through and then now we're in the backstage of the theater area and we're going through the back areas and there's like big ducting for the squeezy thing like this there's generators outside pumping in air to make this one squeezy thing but those 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 ducks are like un you know uh, uh, 
undecoed and just like filling the hallway. And there's like actors scurrying around the hallway and doing things. And the actors are committing to the bit, but it's like an undecorated hallway. And then you go into like, you know, another spot, like, you know, like uh, literally the backstage area, uh, the, the dressing rooms. And like, that's got some vibes to it. But just this constant, like the vibes are up, the vibes are down. The vibes are up, they're dropping their vibes. The vibes are dropping their vibes. And, and that on and off with no transitions, just no transition from point to point. No sense of like, you know, not even just like flashy lights, not even just like some hue light LEDs around a door to make you feel like, or, or even some drapery, right? Like you get at a haunt where you're like, you're going to push through and this feeling like you've gone through a membrane into another world, right? None of that. And then we wind up on a mezzanine again, uh, waiting to go into the main theater, Wait for us a hot second. There's some announcements. Finally, some announcements like you were going to wait over here and then go to the thing. It's like, okay, cool. Then we go in the thing and then we sit down, uh, wait a while. And there's actors, you know, in, in the halls, like, demon creepy guys, right? You know, like all feeling very theme park haunty. And then there's, uh, you know, this well lit, well choreographed, cool effects stage show, you know, pre-recorded audio that's like a mixture of vibes of like, you know, old Hollywood and then like, you know, kind of, you know, 90s neo-burlesque, uh, you know, music video dancing stuff, uh, which is fine. You know, I mean, can can be your thing. There's some there's some sharp choreography going on, some cool stuff going on, like video projection of the video screen and the performers like in sync that felt uncanny, like well executed on that. And like, you can suss out what the story is, you know, it's kind of being indicated at, but you know, this dropping the, the vibe constantly just made it impossible to connect to what was going on. Like it didn't feel like this rising tension of like, Oh man, it was just like, all oh, here's some shocking imagery, which, you know, my general experience of like theme park haunts, and this reminds me so much of a theme park haunt, is that that is sort of like their approach to making spatialized experiences and events is like, I'm going to shock you with some imagery. I'm going to show you some like temple stuff. And then we're going to sort of the, the, the hallway sections are vamping and maybe there'll be some jump scares. And like that is the formula. And uh, I'm going to curse for a second. I find that fucking boring. Right. I just find it fucking boring um, because I have also been inside theme park cons or or other things that use the haunted house format that use that opportunity, use the traversal to keep ratcheting up the tension to keep kind. you not not even it's not even about punching the story beats. It's to just they're making things weirder. They're making things more intense. They're making this, they're pulling in a sense of dread of doom that you're headed somewhere you should not go. And that's not just telling people no, 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 no. Right. And let me tell you the first maze in angel of light, the first bit before we dropped into like the pipe and drape, it did it. Once we were past the lobby section, um, which had pretty vibes and cool stuff. And like, it was like, you know, this, the opening bit of that was like, Oh, this, this could go somewhere. Although let me tell you, I knew things were off from the start because we go in when we, we you know, they were telling us get in the lobby, get in, go all the way down, go all the way down. And the performers 
in, in, in Streetmosphere characters were meeting us at the door, which slowed people from going down deep and queuing up properly. And right there from the first second, I was like, there's a disconnect here. The actors are coming to us. We're being told to go farther, deeper. The show and the queue are, are, are at odds. The actors should be luring us down to get us sorted out, divide us up properly. Right. You know, you, you could do all that and it, it, it doesn't take too much of an adjustment. And I think that's the thing about going through that show was, and I understand like, you know, a, a section where, oh, we fell behind. We got to stop, you know, hold here in the vestibule. It's sad that it's a pipe and drape vestibule. There isn't something else there, particularly if that's going to be a choke point that, that, that it wasn't decoed or there wasn't someone in there, particularly we have like 75 actors. Like you could deploy someone there. You could, you could, you could vamp. You need to vamp right there. And that was the thing. There were people vamping in places where you didn't need people vamping. And then just some fricking signage to like, you know, this is where you go. There were people who were told ahead of time, like this is where you go. And, and, but uh, just a little unclear. Uh, no, a lot unclear. And again, that, that kind of letting the rope go slack, right? The thing about a haunted house when it's working well and, you know, we're talking and, 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 and I fell in love with the form by going through alone by going through tension, like th that form, right? I mean, tension's, I mean, you know, tension's was more than a haunted house, but like, you know, you're going around mazes, like there's haunted house aspects to this, right? That setup going through creep, you can do it. And, and I'll tell you all we wanted, not all we wanted, but like we, we would be so overjoyed if we could have rolled out of angel of light and said, they've got the Los Angeles theater, They've got all this tech, they've got all these actors and they've got this, this vibe and they just hold the tension the whole way through. And, you know, you, you feel like you're, you're, you're going down to like the pits of hell into like some kind of ritual or like you someplace you're not supposed to be like would be, it'd be so great to be able to tell everybody that. And unfortunately it's not. I will not dissuade you from going if you are curious and you want to see it for yourself, by all means. And the Los Angeles is beautiful and the costumes are beautiful. And when the first maze is working, the first maze is, is you know, creepy AF. Um, but for me, that was like the highlight of the night. And then everything after um, just felt disorganized and like a couple of nips and tucks here and there could have kept things on that razor's edge and felt really memorable and not like, Oh, we've turned Los Angeles theater into a miniature amusement park haunt hub. Now a major amusement park haunt hub is not scary farms 50th anniversary. They got 10 mazes this year. Uh, a bunch of returnings, uh, three new mazes, including uh, a uh, homage maze, uh, the, the the chamber, the chilling chambers uh, maze, which uh, harkens back to not scary farms of the past. Um, won't go long on this because I just went really long on Angel Light, longer than I thought I was going to. Um, but 
uh, here's here's some standout stuff. Uh, uh, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna start with the bad because I'm I'm on a bad rant right now, and end with the good because the good here is sublime. There's a maze this year. I feel whether you have seen everything else they have or not, that is worth the price of admission, all on its own. What? Yes, yes, it's true. There is there is one cannot miss maze. If you are not a haunt person, if you can't handle gore, if it really throws you out, right? Like, and I'm someone who can tolerate gore, but like, it doesn't do anything for me. I've got rants on that. Uh, I just, I'm just like, mm, 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 guts, yay, yummy. Um, but and this, and this, this maze has that, but it works for me because they give it the good context. Um, context is everything, everybody. Uh, this, uh, the, the maze that's good, sublime, worth the price of admission. We'll get to that in a second. Um, they have, uh, they, they always tweak stuff. They kind of mess with stuff every year. Um, I'll say this, um, the, the, the vampire shooting gallery thing that they did last year, they removed the guns. Uh, and, uh, so it's no longer interactive. Um, they didn't change a lot of the audio on it. Uh, they sort of like bashed up everything, made it look like things had gotten destroyed, uh, in, in the place where you used to get your laser pistols and laser rifles to go, you know, blast the vampires as go through. There are fewer actors in it. And now there's just these tableaus. And there's a couple of things where there's just like video screens showing you people fighting vampires <laughs> as opposed to there being actors fighting vampires where there used to be actors fighting vampires. I think there was literally the actors who were fighting vampires last year, just on video now. Uh, it's a, it's a damn mess. Uh, it was the first thing we did. It was uh, the worst thing we did. Uh, and uh, honestly, if you did Bloodlines last year and liked it, don't go this year. You will you will just find yourself being like, man, they removed cool stuff. Uh, and the ending is still the same ending and makes no sense whatsoever. So I'm uh, I'm hoping they just um, I, I'm hoping they get rid of that one. Like, uh, retire that, please. There's there's no reason why that maze should still exist next year. I don't usually say things like that, but here I am doing that. Uh, Dark Entities, which I'm going to go on that. Dark Entities, which is the alien one. Uh, there's some, been look, it was great this year. Like, like that one I'm always a little like, you know, on, uh, but always enjoy, you know, like it feels, but they, there's more smoke, <laughs> more fog, more guts. Uh, but like they set a vibe this year where like they're like they're going for it. The depths, which is like the undersea one, also felt like they did some changey stuff around, or like there was things that stood out that I didn't remember from before. Uh, just felt like you know creepier, more enhanced. Uh, again, some love being put into it. Waxworks felt like it had the same kind of love being put into it. Uh, some some different gags going on uh, using performers. Uh, it felt like uh, again like hazy memories from year to year. But like these and these are the ones on like the back lot. Uh, or in the backstage area, just just felt great. The legacy store had some cool stuff in it. Like if I was in a shopping mode, I would have walked out of there with some things. But I'm not in a shopping mode these days. I'm in a beg for rent money mode these days. Um, and so that that was that was great. Was it depths uh, waxworks? Yeah, no, that's the four in the back uh, in the backstage area. Um, the uh, we went back uh, to Mesmer, which is around for its third year. We loved Mesmer the first year, and then they um, then they inshitified it um, and just like got guts in. Uh, they've left it that way. Um, I I wish they would mercy kill Mesmer. 
Um, it was, it was sublime and weird in the first year. And I get it. Like, uh, folks who go to theme park haunts, like they want guts, I want meat, uh, I want demon voices and guts. Um, and like Mesmer can sustain that to some degree, but like it really, it just feels like there's this thing where like, Hey, we made a story and we're trying to do something interesting. And then like, mm, people don't like it. Bust things up, burn things down, throw in some guts, whatever the filthy animals. Um, it's, I just, I'd rather just see them like, you know, take it down or, uh, there was even like, there was, there was one section where it was clear. There was some like water damage that just hadn't been repaired. And it's just like, all why, why are you, why are you doing that, man? This thing is like, you know, away for a year, you know, like clean the rug. Um, or if it's going to be water damage, like, you know, it's gonna be decayed, like really decay it, like burn that sucker, like make it look like a choice and not like just something that was sitting in the back. It's night one. Um, oh, I'm catty today. Uh, I'm tired. So, uh, the chilling chambers, uh, was the next one we did the legacy haunt stuff. Some of the, some of the imagery was cool. Uh, car, the carnival part was not really great. Although there's one thing that was just like, well, that's just gross, just gross humor stuff. Um, it's fine. Uh, if you are someone who has a long history with knots, I'm sure that, that one's amazing. Right. Like absolutely got to be like blast from the past level, which I think is really smart. And there were some things in there. I was just like confused by what it was, but it was like, you know, kind of like the equivalent of like a clip show for a haunt. Uh, and so for what it is works, you know, it's was, it was good. It's all right. Um, we, we did something before that. The really good one. We're going to skip over that one. Um, we went over to uh, uh, Calico Origins, which is like the origin story of the Green Witch. Uh, I love that one. I think that one is just, uh, uh, you know, with a couple of tweaks, to, you know, again, this this idea of, you know, the thing about the theme park haunts, uh, or at least at Knott's, that they do that I don't love is, like, they don't go for a build. They just kind of jump to the gross, like, really quickly. Um, and And Calico Origins, in particular, I think, suffers for them doing that. Because you start with this little uh, courtroom scene, and, and this this whole thing is like the story of the Green Witch, who is this fabled character at Knotts, who was you know for years performed by one person who was just known for like scaring the bejesus out of people. Like the 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 cleaning staff would hang out near them because they knew people were going to spill things and throw their food all over to like run away from the witch and like break up parties. You know, like people get lost because the witch scared them, and it was just this actress who was really go to just like appearing and so like they, they they built a whole haunt around this character and the whole idea is like you know she got you know she's condemned to die and you know for like i think killing kids or something like that um the story is a little unclear but then not too unclear it's like you walk into a classroom and like oh wow someone did a number on this classroom it was a green witch and so like they condemn her to die and like you know she curses calico and like everything kind of spills out from there um and and you start with the courtroom being condemned. He's like, and the judge is like guilty and yelling at you. And like, it's got all these great like theatrical vibes. You're like, yeah, you know, like, oh my goodness, we're going to back. And you walk into the jail, and then there's like, you know, a freak like in jail with like a lockjaw thing. And I'm like, if that was just a cowboy 
who was freaking out about like, there's things going on back there, man. Like it, the, the, the haunt would build because like all the video stuff is building. Like the witch is like deteriorating as you go through and going from like being like a person to being this monster. And like the set deco is kind of doing the same thing, but then the monsters in the maze are just freaky monsters from the start. So there's no build and again, it just feels like this, like, you know, this, this desire to like get to the meat. Uh, I was walking around with Juliet, Juliet Benarila, our friend, uh, Juliet got us in. I should mention Juliet at the start. You know, we, we do this together. It's our annual tradition. Uh, she takes me uh, and I go, uh, and, uh, and, and we love it now. We have, we have, we have rituals at this point. Um, not dark rituals, like dessert rituals, but you know, that's not here nor there. Um, and, uh, I, I shared that like, you know, I think, I think there's a whole thing here of time to corpse. How soon after you walk through the beginning of the, the haunt, are you going to see a corpse? Like, it's like a demand. It's like the core metric, like you got to get a body hanging on a hook or, or it's not good. Uh, and, uh, and it happens every time there's like a new haunt and like, you know, the first, you know, minute is like, you know, the first two scenes are like, there's no bodies. If you go back next year, there's going to be a body. Like you walk right in, like here's meat on a hook. You were worried you weren't going to see meat on a hook. Here's meat on a hook. Um, which is why I'm going to pitch them a, a haunt I call guts one year. It's just guts. Um, so, uh, you get a little of that. You get less of that here in uh, Calico Origins, uh, but the bit of it with the freaks that you do, it just feels like it, it would hit more if there was a little more arcing of like you know things deteriorating and that, that sense of a journey and not just like guts. Well, we're doing the whole thing. Yeah, those don't care. I skipped over. Um, anyway, it's still great. Love it. Love Calico Origins. Uh, top, top near the top of the list every year for me. Uh, cause it does have a story and it does it, the, 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 the theme, the physical plant is telling is arcing, even if the scare actors are, uh, mutant freaks from the start. Um, grimoire back for its second year. Um, I want to love this thing, but I don't, I almost just want to leave it at that. Uh, there's, there's a real attempt to tell story, uh, but it's still a little incoherent. They're pushing people through because uh, you got a lot of people to get through. There's a little opening. There's supposed to be a little opening vignette, but they're just like running people by it. They actually come back around a version of that scene later. So like, you know, everything's there and there's this evil book that's popping up between things. But, you know, you got to you're being conga lined through. And so there there just isn't time to really absorb these vignettes. Um, and that's unfortunate because I think it's got some of the best set deco in the whole of, of all the stuff. Um, and it's intriguing. this like flipping through the eras and like some of it's in black and white, some of it's in color, but like, I think the story made less sense to us this year than it did in, in a previous year. Uh, another one of the new haunts, um, uh, that, uh, I feel like I'm skipping over something, but I don't think I'm not. I am. Uh, another one of the new haunts this year is Room 13. This one is based off, uh, it's part of the Goring 20s scare zone uh, that's over in sort of the the kind of mid, midway-ish era area, the, the 1920s era area in, in the park. Uh, that has long been fun with all the scare actors going around because like unlike the 
other places where it's just, you know, people running up to you and like, you know, sliding around. It's just all these like, you know, demon mobs, mobsters who are just being jerks. And it's got a, it's got a very distinct vibe to it. You know, the undead flappers selling, you know, cigarettes and everything. Vibes are similar to what uh, Angel of Light uh, tries to conjure, actually. And I love that aesthetic and I love those vibes. And so this was for us the longest line of the night. Like we were, you know, we even got fast, you know, we had press access. So, but like we stood very long time, very popular line. Like it was hour long for, for people who didn't, weren't blessed with the, the, the front of line pass. And um, you go in. And the whole the whole story here that's been the story of the Gorian Twenty Four Hours that like the the speakeasy is serving up this cursed elixir, this green elixir again, green sort of like green witch vibes, right? You know, and it's turning the mobsters into demons. And uh, you go in, and there's like like faux brick, and like it feels like you're going into a real place, like in the back of this building, and like all all the entryway is great, and you you get into this speakeasy, and there's, there's, you know, audio going like, oh, don't drink the elixir, da 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 da. But I'll tell you, the time to corpse on this one is is like thirty seconds. So this thing feels almost like they just skipped the part where they tried to tell a story and got to the meat. Um, and that's incredibly disappointing to me because I think I was most excited about room 13 going in because I love the vibes of the goring twenties. I think there's a lot of good set deco in here. I think there's some clever things they're doing in terms of what the traversal is. Um, but it felt for each of the different rooms, like they didn't know what they wanted to do to give a sense of the, of a story going where uh, somewhere or of mounting tension. And it was like, well, Let's cut a corpse in half and hang it, which is a gag they do a lot. And so this last thing we saw in the night and we had seen a lot of that already and it just didn't. It was like now the corpse is wearing, you know, 20s clothing as opposed to wearing something else. Now, there was some there was some good deco in there, Um, but I want to see a sharper chance to tell story. Because there was a hunt that we saw in the middle, that we went through in the middle, that proves without a shadow of a doubt that they can do that. They can do story. That they can create environments that that tell stories in the environment, that tell stories. And I'm not talking about dialogue. I'm talking about tableaus with actors and mannequins and puppets and set pieces and that is cinema slasher which is just absolutely sublime it replaces dark ride which was a beloved one for us uh that that did a really good job of telling story as well um it's set up in this cinema that's over in like the the pier area um so like it matches even better to the aesthetics on the outside um and you go in and first thing is you're like in a movie theater lobby or walk way into a movie theater. Oh, there's, there's posters of the movies that you, you know, that are playing in there. You walk into the snack bar, there's flashes of black light. Everything's dressed up to make the black light thing happen. Then you walk into a theater and yep, there's a 
movie running, the, the screen's been slashed open, and you walk through the screen and you go into a horror movie. And they repeat this conceit a couple of times. And like the movie that's being projected is the movie you walk into and the scenes feel iconic. This mix of Halloween and Friday the 13th and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and I Know What You Did Last Summer. All of this stuff, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all these homages and as you go through, it's this idea that you're going through all these like movie sequels in this slasher series. And like the main, the, 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 the killer, right? The slasher, you know, it's different actors each time, right? In the mask, but the mask is kind of changing as you go. And it feels like it's deteriorating from sequel to sequel, the way like, you know, Jason's mask, like, you know, like get messed up from sequel to sequel. Things just keep on changing over time. And then, you know, it does end with like a big knots pop, like knots has a very specific way of ending. If you know, you know, and it's got one of those, but it's really, and it's really well done. Not, but some of them were really well done. This is like maybe the best one. And it's like thematic and like the way you leave, like the last bit as you're going out with, as you encounter that one is very clever. There's all these little details. It's really easy to pick up with on the first time, but all it's just such a rich environment and you, you know where you are, you know, what's going on, you know what you see. The actors are interacting with the set and the props in interesting ways. Like it is fantastic. It is the best walkthrough things I've done full stop again worth the price of admission and kind of makes everything else feel not nearly as good like it's so above it all far and away and best of all i think is in shitification proof because because of the themes because of of the conceit of a slasher movie the time to corpse factor is low and makes all kinds of sense. So even though you get your guts, but but it all feels in service of what they're doing and the aesthetic and like it's already gratuitously gory if if they if they filled it up with more guts. If we go in next year and then the snack bar is no longer like, you know, popcorn and the smell of like, you know, melted butter, but it's just like, you know, fingers and toenail clippings on like the thing, then I give up. I hope they don't do that. I've already, I've already imagined the possibility, but I don't know why you'd give up that, that first scene for guts. Cause you know, you're going to get guts a minute later. All right. Well, uh, thank you for sticking around for all of that. If you did, uh, if you didn't, um, hey, um, you know, that's that's cool. I'm, I'm good on that. Uh, let's do the end of the thing. That, that was that was I didn't expect that. But, you know, what do you know? I guess I, I wanted to share. 
The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. The No Pro Podcast is uh, ranted about exclusively by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you in the fog. Thank you.